0: Today we're going to be looking at the issue of uh, this extradition um, order that was supposed to be sealed. But it seems like there's tensions that uh, seem to exist between South Africa and the United Arab Emirates despite there the being a finalization of the deal to assist each other with the extradition and legal evidence of those accused of looting the state coffers, which to be direct are the Guptas, while the ratification of the treaties on extradition and mutual Legal assistance was welcomed this week. The National uh, Director of Public Prosecutions Advocate, Shamila Batohi, said they would only accept that there was cooperation from the UAE once they received the evidence that they'd been requesting for over three years. Well, to assist us on this, we joined on the line by Wayne Nube, who is the National Director of Lawyers for Human Rights. We also have a Professor Yuanzi van Veik, who is joining us from the Politics Department at the University of South Africa. Let me start with you, Professor. Um, you know, we were very much optimistic when we heard the news that the this particular extradition uh, and uh process was going to be finalised, but there seems to be more intricacies around this.
1: Yes, uh, good morning, Benjamin and uh, Mr. Ngube and your listeners. Thank you very much. Yes, um, as you know, that these uh, diplomatic relations have been in the making for quite a number of years. In fact, by 2018, this was signed, but it has not been ratified. And even before that, this process in 2010, we are now in its eleventh year, and it can still take some time um, more. So, some of the issues that have been um, um, mentioned has been the relationship with South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, there had been reports that there were issues rounding the translation of English and the Arabic versions with uh, were signed, um, or at least drawn up, when the was first uh, for, uh, formulated. Um, there were other uh, political reasons also. We know that the UAE had been very much uh, involved in, in the Middle East, with Saudi Arabia, for example, with um, the case in Yemen, they've been actively very uh, aggressive foreign policy in that area. South Africa, sold arms to to um, UAE, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So, so there were a lot of complicating factors, and we should not forget that even in South Africa, we had a, a change of, in government. Um, uh, the UAE were one of the very first countries that President Ramaphosa visited uh, when he became in 2018, so so despite all of this, uh, you know it, it has taken a long time and there may be uh, political reasons for that um, but we do know that it has been signed now finally um, there seems to be a lot of uh, political um, goodwill at least to to proceed with this process and we await then the next move. We must be mindful that this treaty um, will only kick in Thirty days after exchange of notices by both governments. So, uh, according to the um, embassy here, in South Africa, the UAE embassy, this treaty has been signed in April. Now, there are ten days in terms of keeping these notices of, of um, exchange back, um, which is basically the, 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 the documentation for the, the signing. There are a prescriptive way how these documents should be presented, and then. If, the process of extradition can can start. South Africa will have to make a formal request. In terms of the treaty, I think it is um, Article Nine that outlines the process. South Africa should do it, but but then of course we must be mindful that the we are. Um, we assume that the, um, the, the the brothers Gupta are still in Dubai. They may be elsewhere, hence the South African government has also issued a, a red notice via Interpol. So any member of Interpol is then also obliged to um, react to this when mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. these individuals may be in a country other than um, the UAE.
0: All right, sure. Let's let's bring in Wayne Prof into the, the, the discussion. Wayne, thank you for giving us your time as
2: well. Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Wayne, I mean, when we talk about an extradition um, treaty, what are we talking about? Let's just go a step back a little bit so we can just get a little bit of clarity for our listeners on the intricacies in this process.
2: Yes, so generally speaking, so an extradition treaty will govern uh, extradition processes between two states. Uh, the the thing to remember is that uh, in international law, states do not have an obligation to surrender an alleged criminal to a foreign state uh, because of the principle of sovereignty, which says that every state has legal authority over all people in the state. It also has no uh, obligation to cooperate with investigations, in other words, allow for evidence to go through the country. So for instance, one of the things that uh, our Department of Justice has been saying is, over and above the actual uh, arrest warrants uh, that have been issued, they have been seeking for the EAU to provide them with critical financial information. uh, And there is no obligation. And the way uh, extradition treaties work is they'll govern how uh, extradition takes place uh, between two particular states, it will prescribe the manner of, uh, of the procedure in terms of uh, how someone will will be given over to another state but it will also prescribe the crimes under which extradition can take place uh, but over the the thing to remember though is that even with the existence of an extradition treaty, it does not mean or guarantee that extradition or uh, evidence cooperation will naturally take place uh, because even if you have crimes that fit within the extradition treaty, it is still up to the courts and the executive of that specific country mm-hmm. to then make a particular decision. And uh, an accused person also has right of recourse uh, in terms of the law in that country, even if uh, an investigation or treaty meets the prescripts of the treaty. They might have defenses in terms of, let's say it was in South Africa, for instance, where we often see requests for extradition to Botswana, which has a death penalty. Mm -hmm. And if the person uh, does not get an assurance from that particular government and then South Africa that the death penalty won't be given, they can go to a court and say they will not enjoy the same rights so and ultimately, it is still a political decision. it's still an, a decision by the executive branch uh over and above the courts to then make the final determination on whether or not uh to actually hand over the person and then it becomes a and that's why traditions are complicated because regardless of what the treaty will say, regardless mm-hmm. of the law, ultimately it becomes a geopolitical issue, and the executive will then have to make a decision on whether or not they they cooperate. Obviously now this treaty that is coming to uh effect, which as we understand will only come into effect on ten july mm-hmm. it provides a roadmap, but it does not necessarily signal that uh the executive is at a point where they will allow for the extradition of uh one of their individuals or one of the individuals in their particular camp. No, 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 now let's ex- relations.
0: Sure, let's unpack that um technicality that you just highlighted there, Wayne, because you you highlighted that the extradition treaty would enter into force on 10th of July. That was highlighted by the South African Justice Minister, Ronald uh, Lamola. But we know that the National Director of Public Prosecutions, Shamila Batohi, uh, cautioned South Africa that uh, despite the finalization of the extradition treaty, um, there still has to be some mutual legal assistance in terms of agreements, which also have to be ratified.
2: Yes, and uh, I suppose maybe to also explain to your listeners the difference between an extradition treaty and the mutual legal assistance agreements. Mm. So the extradition treaties generally deal specifically with the handover of an, an individual. But a, a big aspect of actually getting a convention or getting through an investigation is gathering of evidence. And in this case, South Africa needs, uh, as I had mentioned before, evident, financial records from the EAU regarding the Guptas or any other specific criminal. And normally, those mutual agreements are what set out how that cooperation investigative cooperation would work uh, again uh, that is an an agreement in principle which deals with uh, two states at a specific level at a national level uh those agreements would still have to be tested by the law and in, in that particular country in this instance, the EAU. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, financial institutions do not have an automatic obligation to hand over uh, information in the absence of a warrant. And uh, in most countries, there's due process where affected people would still be able to go to a court even if a warrant has been granted uh, to try and defend uh, information that would be prejudicial to them or information that they would feel is private from being handed over. So even in the existence, with the existence of that mutual agreement, you could still have a protected legal process which might delay the execution of just the evidentiary part of, uh, this battle.
0: Mm. Sounds very complicated, Prof, in terms of when you have um, an executive of a country and also um, the the treaty agreement uh, and there, that also being factored within the legal systems of each country, isn't it?
1: Yes, for sure. And um, <clears throat> thank you, Wayne, for, for elucidating some of the problems um, for us. Uh, we must be mindful Besides South Africa's um, extradition, extradition act and this particular bilateral um, extradition treaty, they are also bound by multilateral uh, agreements. So, all of that should be. Um, in 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 harmonization, it should be harmonized in order to achieve this. Another important aspect is to remember what is the situation in the United Arab Emirates how do the how does their judicial system work mm-hmm. so we have here uh, the UAE consists of seven different emirates of which Dubai, which we suspect is the is the place where um, the the Kupta brothers are um, located um by last reports um, and within the um, um, federal system of the UAE there is also then complications within the, the 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 legal system which might be mindful and there could also be political factors we, we know for example that Dubai under Um, Sheikh uh, Maktoum has been very much positioning Dubai as a go-to place for investment, for development, etc., driving a a very active um, international uh, um, uh, uh, policy, for example, with the release also of the Dubai plan. Compared to, for example, um, Abu Dhabi, which is led by the Crown Prince Mohammed, it's been, um, favoring a more, um, aggressive international policy for for example has been instrumental in pulling the UAE with Saudi Arabia into for example um, the war in Yemen um, who has taken a role in in conflict situations also so we must be mindful that besides the problems that that were elucidated there are also intra-UAE aspects that we have to to take into account and and this complicates uh, the situation but I think Despite these um, uh, complications that we have identified, it is at least a step in the right direction. And it is at least a commitment by the Ramaphosa government and by by putting pressure on the UAE. And um, also the fact that um, in front of the the Zondo Commission, there were, um, for example, travel excellence that uh, um, bear bear, uh, my testimony about the number of visits that they um, organized okay. um, um, for, for um, individuals to go to Dubai, for example. We, we know that um, there is currently a court case brought Southern Africa Litigation Center and Open Secrets about okay. the decisions to sell arms in, to the UAE. Um, uh, we remember also um, um, uh, Lord Hayne, Testimony before the Zonda Commission in 2019, where he raises this question um, also about um, the UAE that should come clean. And, you know, how can you expect a country to be strong on crime but not then um, working on with, with other countries globally? And what is interesting about this. Piece, um, that South Africa signed with the UAE is in in the preamble. For example, it specifically refers to that these countries are both mindful of the impact of of global terrorism and organised crime. Now, organised crime can take forms, but but there is at least um, that commitment by both countries mm-hmm. that they want to deal with crime. And we can remember that Dubai, for example. Um, is 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 very vulnerable because mm. it 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 is a country or at least an emirate that gives itself as a very attractive multinational uh, cosmopolitan environment where anybody can can um, um make business so they have also that responsibility of of applying that to attract more invest and i think covid um, in that sense has been a wake up call for these emirates that has had a good run in terms of of their oil exports globally activities have slowed down which means that there is less of a need for energy production and oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and um, dubai wants to position itself as a as a an emirate that is not uh, only reliant on um, oil and Hence, it needs to put on a face that it is attractive for any other kinds of business, but with a caveat is that they are thrown on crime. Mm.
0: Well, let me take a quick break. Very ins- insightful views coming from our guests. That's the voice of Professor Yohansi van veker uh, uh, speaking to us uh, independently, but she's professionally a lecturer uh, within the politics department at the University of South Africa. Also helping us is the national director uh, for the Lawyers uh, of Human Rights or Lawyers for Human Rights, rather Wayne Nube, who is also helping us understand the extradition uh, processes. We know there's so many issues around extradition that have been revealed in South Africa, especially when we saw um, uh, the um, self-proclaimed Prophet Shepard Bushiri and his wife leaving uh, the country, and there were also some issues around extradition, and I hear there's an extradition um, uh, court case that's underway in malawi and south african witnesses have to appear in that regard but also i'm wondering around um, regional extradition protocols how do they work and i think wayne you can assist us with that after the break but let's just take a break and we'll be back after this
2: Vision 2030 radio show
0: only on Channel Africa is an educational talk show designed from an African perspective to give South Africans an opportunity to take on key leadership roles in understanding, promoting and supporting the South African government's National Development Plan, which is the domestication of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Catch the Vision 2030 show every Tuesday morning between 10 and 11am only on Channel Africa, DSTV Channel 802 and Open View Radio number 628, Vision 2030. Your plan, your future. It is a tough clash between Africa 11 and World 11. Africa has the possession, Bafana Bafana, great pass to the Mambas of Mars, then to the Crocodiles. Black Stars in the middle of the park plays it to the right flank, let's see if Arambe Stars can play across. Beautiful pass to Chipolo Polo, Africa wins a free kick in a superb scoring position. Super Eagles, Warriors of Zim, Uganda Crane standing together, Red Devils of Egypt in the mix, he takes a shot, 1-0. Africa is leading. This is Africa at Play, with sport from an African perspective. Live every Saturday and Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. Central African time on DSTV Your Bouquet, Channel 802, or stream live on channelafrica.co.za Africa at Play. Are listening to Channel Africa? This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to South Africa's external service. This is Channel Africa. I uh, thank you for joining us on Open View on the DSTV, and also if you're streaming us on our website, you listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at this extradition treaty um, case between the United uh, Arab Emirates and uh, South Africa, but it broadens the conversation really around the intricacies of uh, extradition treaties on the African continent not just with um, um, countries on the African continent but also um, neighbors and um, internationally and helping us on this uh, discussion is Wayne Nube, national director for human uh, for lawyers for human rights that's lawyers for human rights and professor Johansi van veker who's a lecturer at the UNISA uh, politics department but speaking to us on her personal capacity today. Let me come back to to you, Wayne, because I think uh, Professor Van Vake opened... The landscape of this uh, conversation in terms of protocols that are international, but also those that are regional. And and maybe this is the time to bring in the, the Bushiri extradition case, uh, which is underway right now in Malawi. Um, we know that Bushiri was supposed to be in court in South Africa, but somehow he escaped and ended up in his home country, Malawi. Uh, let's look at and zoom into that particular case in terms of what's happening there because one would have thought, hey, we would have been able to 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 get um, um, Bashiri back into the country due to SADC extradition protocols, but it, it's not that simplistic, is it?
2: No, no, it's not that simplistic at all. And uh, maybe I'll start with uh, speaking to the regional protocols or regional extradition treaties that I suppose the two famous ones is obviously the European treaty, but the one important to us is the SADC extradition protocol, uh, which is at play in the Bashiri matter. And uh, that protocol sets out the crimes and the manner in which countries basically have to cooperate and the way extradition would take place. And uh, obviously what would then play out is there's very clear reasons for when extradition can proceed when extradition can be refused and ultimately the interpretation of that treaty or that protocol happens at a national level in those courts and that's exactly the legal process that is currently happening. Uh, And uh, so, for instance, the SATA treaty speaks to mandatory conditions under which extradition could be refused and these include if the offence that the person is dealing with is of a political nature or if there are grounds to believe that the person is being persecuted by reason of their race, religion, nationality, or political opinion, status, uh, and there are a number of other grounds, like if uh, he has not been given sufficient notice of a trial and his uh, the decision has been rendered in absentia and stuff like that, which shows even the treaties set out a process which allows for kind of a lengthy legal uh, battle. And uh, that's what we're seeing with, uh, with Bushiri. But to go back to the EAU point, as the professor had mentioned, uh, along with what the treaty says, a lot of geopolitical factors will also come into play when the ultimate decision is made. Because again, that decision is made at a ministerial level, after all the court cases and everything uh, at an executive level. And uh, the one thing that the professor had highlighted is the fact that uh, there are a lot of uh, geopolitical factors at play with the EAU, particularly with uh, the South Africa's relation with the EAU. In fact, uh, today at around lunchtime, uh, we'll, lawyers' human rights will be representing Salk in court uh, to try and interdict the sale of arms from South Africa to the EAU, mm. since South Africa has signed on to international obligations that ensure that uh, arms should not be sold to situations where uh, that will contribute to humanitarian crisis or if, uh, countries that have commit uh, have been seen to commit human rights violations systemically, and the EAU's current role in the Yemen conflict is a big. Uh, geopolitical issue kind of mm-hmm. globally. So
0: so, uh, so, Wayne, tell us a little bit about the position of Lawyers for Human Rights in the involvement of that particular case that uh, you are part of.
2: Yes, so uh, our client Salk, the, the particular interest we have obviously is ensuring that South Africa Uh, A, it's uh, international obligations, but really it's national obligations because a lot of these have already been domesticated into law, and we do not contribute to situations that create volatility, displacement, regional instability. And our national legislation, which governs the sale of arms, says that the regulator that uh, grants permits has to take all of these factors into account. And there are multiple international reports by the United Nations, a lot of other independent organizations that have consistently outlined, uh, the EAU, uh, and Saudi Arabia's complicity in, uh, the, probably the worst humanitarian crisis in the world at the moment in Yemen. And, uh, therefore, uh, South African companies still shipping arms to a conflict like that, uh, basically uh, violates uh, South Africa's uh, constitution, but also international obligations. And what we want to make sure is that our regulators, the South African state, basically adheres to South Africa's laws when granting these permits. And we feel that in this case, it has not. And so that's what the what uh, the court will be reviewing. Obviously, mm-hmm. this all factors into the geopolitical landscape that will govern. Or, or, or all different agreements and negotiations between the countries.
0: Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's very multi-layered. This issue, Professor, uh, as we can hear from that response that that, that Wayne gave.
1: Yes, um, and I'm grateful that that Wayne has also uh, shared with us the the latest on that on that court case, um, and and the, the situation of Yemen reminds us. How important is it that as as citizens we should be actively engaged in uh, foreign policy matters? The National Conventional Arms Control Committee is by law required to report to Parliament what um, is the situation around our arms sales. We know that the Nell is one of the larger arms producers on the the continent, but it is also in a state of debt. That does not mean that we do not have to have this oversight because we have the responsibility as, as Wayne indicated that yes we do need to meet our national interests by, by trading but this human rights foreign policy which basically comes um, before the struggle time but also as, as has been so eloquently put in a famous article by President Nelson Mandela before he assumed power this Article that I'm referring to in, in 93 published in foreign affairs But he said that human rights will be the cornerstone of our foreign policy now by by selling arms to situations like this clearly um, and and I'm sure that this is the, the The point that will be argued this afternoon in in, in the court is a, a contradiction um, of that foreign policy other situation is the the National Conventional Arts Control Committee has been very laxical in its reporting. and it costs a lot for civil society organisations to bring these matters to court. Um, Parliament has also been frustrated by reporting um, from from entities that are required by law. As simple um, is, is, for example, the the um, around Foreign um budget. Um, and its inability to to respond to the general mm, report, mm, for mm, example. Mm. Um, and, and this is what makes it so important for organizations such as Voice for Human Rights um, acting on behalf of civil society, because despite the fact that we have um, the doors of parliament open to use the a line from the Freedom Charter. It still remains a very difficult position um, and and place of access, especially mm-hmm. now in this period of COVID. The other issue that we should be mindful of is that the uh, some of these documentation are 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 not out in the open, and we have seen a number of court cases in the past few years, which basically call government to order. What we've seen is is almost like. Um, foreign policy by, by court judgment, where civil society has brought government or Dirko or the president or a minister um, to 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 court to say, look, um, these decisions have not been taken um, in in with the Constitution. Uh, Think, uh, for example, of the nuclear deal with Russia. Uh, um, that was also a civil society um, case. Uh, we have previously seen um, human rights cases, um, the famous Kahunda case on uh, citizenship, uh, the Fon Abu case on, on, on land and extradition in Zimbabwe, for uh, example. Uh, so We've seen a series of cases where government has been brought to justice, which is a, a a plus for our legal sure. system, but it is sad for our parliamentary system that that route cannot be followed and that we need to go yeah. costly syst- uh, route instead.
0: Let let me take a quick break because uh, one would have thought that we're just going to speak about the Guptas, but it seems like something that's multi-layered. And, you know, when you speak about extradition treaties, they actually inform a lot of pacts, uh, whether they're regionally and uh, whether they're international. And it's fascinating to hear how this conversation has went between Professor Yuan van Veik, uh, who is uh, joining us for analysis, and uh, Wayne Nube, who's helping us from the National um, who's a national director rather at the lawyers for human rights it's 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 very amazing to hear also the developments that are that are taking place in light of this particular topic which is very multi-dimensional let me take a quick break and then we'll wrap up the the conversation after this
1: across the globe every second there's always a breaking story
0: We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible we are here because... Unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. What an interesting conversation we've had with uh, uh, Professor You van Veeg and Wayne Nube. Uh, we speak about extradition processes uh, between countries. Uh, we were focusing on South Africa and the United Arab Emirates, but it seems like the, the story of South Africa and extradition is very multi-dimensional. Wayne Um, Are we at a point with our extradition processes where we have reached a full stop or is there still a lot of work around this area that we need to do as a country?
2: I think there's still a lot of work that we need to do as a country around this area. Uh, And that's also in terms of how we basically deal with the requests that we make but also how we handle requests from foreign countries. Uh, there's obviously a recent case uh, last year that we were also involved in, uh, involving Covenhoven where we had a request from the Dutch uh, government concerning an arms dealer who basically fueled the Liberia war and committed a lot of uh, violations uh, in the African continent. Uh, and that person had been uh, convicted of international crimes but uh, is basically living in the Western Cape uh, uh, and had received uh, a visa and everything, despite uh, the fact that he was being investigated and charged with his crimes. Mm. And we still have not processed that extradition order ourselves. So I think South Africa also has a long way to go in terms of ensuring that they cooperate fully and they're able to go through the processes to ensure that uh, people are held to account for your most heinous crimes Uh, and generally speaking these agreements as the preamble the professor mentioned in the preamble uh, relate to what the international community consider either your most heinous most serious crimes or crimes that are of such a nature that they require cooperation and we probably have a lot to do in terms of tightening up our legal processes And the way in which we process our orders and ensuring that they happen in a timeless manner. So, for instance, this Coven-Hoven matter, uh, I think it's since 2017 Mm -hmm. since we received the red notice, and yet uh, that matter still lingers forward. Uh, And so, we obviously want to see uh, the EAU cooperate and ensure that uh, there's justice for. The crimes, the alleged crimes that uh, we feel have been committed here, and that uh, people like the Gupta's uh, have their day in court, uh, and uh, that has to happen at a, in terms of a, at an international relations point of view, ensuring that the executive uh, uh, has the will to kind of push those requests. But for other countries to take us seriously, I think we also have to. Uh, be a lot more serious in terms of how we process our own requests uh with the and urban one being uh, one glaring example mm. uh,
0: prof what are your final sentiments to, to this conversation because i think it has been a broad one and, and it shows the various tentacles of uh, um you know influence that uh, um this particular area has in running a country
1: yes uh, thank you very much um, we must be mindful that the, the individuals, um, the Gupta brothers, are very astute. Um, they will not go without a fight. They are influential people. They have money um, to get their way. We have seen what they have been able to achieve in our country. And they will, they will not go without a fight. So we can expect some shenanigans um, because a lot for them is at stake. We've seen that um, the government on on, on our side here has been um, arrests um, and there's been a a seizure of of property, etc. So this will be a test for the international um, multilateral system also, is is to to say, look, um, organized crime is, is... contributing to a lot of human rights abuses in whatever form. It is undermining the authority of government, but it is also undermining the, the sanctity of human life because it, for example, the, by extension, this Yemen case um, that um, one referred to, and it is um, a political game that, that South Africa will need to play very astutely. But, we, we have a track record that we like to also follow the legal game. There are enough examples that we, uh, for example, prefer to take issues to the UN Rights Council of the United Nations rather than addressing an issue within the Security Council. There are um, questions about whether we did in um, did do the right decisions in those cases. So we must remember that there are loopholes in. Any legal uh, uh, agreement. Article 4 and 5 of, of this particular treaty um, with the UAE are, in my view, some of the, the loopholes. Um, the political um, considerations of Article 4 uh, as well as Article 5, the discretion to extradite. The Gupta brothers, well, saying, in terms of Article 4 mm. that look, this is a political witch hunt. Uh, and that we can then claim for either refugee status or asylum seekers. Yeah. Um, there are <clears throat> a plethora of options available yeah. to them. Yeah. What is important is that South Africa take the lead. We are taking the lead. And this is an also an important test case um, that has wider implications. As you know, um, President Zuma um, is, is fighting um, a, a legal case. President Ramaphosa needs to to be shown to be um, strong on 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 crime and Mm, corruption mm, mm. we have to to fight um, um, recognition and status on the national level Mm. and all of this is is in my view uh, a test for for the ability to get those individuals to have their day in court and, um, to 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 see um, that justice um,
0: is done. Well, thank you to both of you for giving us your time. I'm always uh, really impressed by the uh, versatility that you both have in in your knowledge base. <laughs> both you, Prof Joancy and, and Wayne. I've spoken thank to you me. guys around COVID. I've spoken to you around legal matters, international law. Now, so I really really appreciate you guys and and thank you both for for giving us your time.
2: See yeah, you,